0: Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises, In you, our ancestors, put their trust. They trusted, and you deliver them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a pot. Shirt, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the swart my precious life from the power of the dogs rescue me from the mouth of the lions save me from the horns of the wild oxen i will declare your name to my people in the assembly i will praise you you f- who you who fear the lord praise him all you descendants of jacob honor him revere him all you descendants of israel for he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one he has not hidden his face from him but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive, posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. This is the word of God. Amen.
1: Hello. Uh, my name is Christine Han, for those of you who don't know me. And I am one of New Mercy's uh, beloved interns. And this year, I am uh, serving as the intern worship pastor. So I am very privileged and honored to stand here in front of you uh, to close up our worship series. Uh, for those of you who don't know, we had a. F- this is the fourth week of our Restoration and Worship series. We've talked about the purpose of corporate worship, the power of corporate worship, the heart of corporate worship. And today I want to talk about the act of praise in corporate worship. And we'll be digging in deep into the Psalms to uh, really talk about what praise is. So let's pray before we begin. God, we come here to seek you and only you. Lord, we ask for powerful encounters today, encounters of your love and of your compassion and of your grace and of your mercy. Um, In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Before we begin, I just want to make one thing clear. Uh, I think a lot of people have this confused, and they say praise and worship is like synonymous, but I want to say that it's not. I'm going to say that praise is a form of worship. Um, so worship is not just praise uh, and singing songs. And I just want to make it clear that I will not be using the terms worship and praise interchangeably. Okay? Okay. Just want to make that clear. Now, there are different ways to praise God, right? And uh, it's through the arts like song and music, dancing and painting, um, I have one friend who uh, prophesies over people through her paintings, and it, it's really, really cool. And she's really, really good. Um, but I can't do any of those. I can't dance. I can't paint. I remember one time in elementary school, I was in summer school, YMCA, and we had after-school dance. And then the last, and at the end, we would show our parents this dance, right? And we were we were dancing to. Um, What's that song? Try again, but dust yourself off and try again, right? So we were all dancing to that song. We were practicing, and I was standing in the front, right? And I was in the front, and I was dancing. And then the teacher, like, the next day, she kept, like, putting me to the back, right? And I was like, what's going on? Like, I think I could dance, but I think I just can't dance. So, yeah, you don't want to see that. Uh, (laughs) So I'll be talking specifically about the art of song and music in corporate worship, singing songs. You know, that 20-minute period before the sermon um, that we have time to sing and praise. Yeah, that's actually a necessary element uh, because that time is used to corporately praise God and pursue God. So those are the two things I'm going to touch upon, that praise is used to praise God and pursue God. Um, I feel like, Um, songs and music, I'll be using these two terms interchangeably. In general, they're all around us, right? Music is universal. It's the world's language, and music is relatable, and music does not discriminate. No matter who you are, you are not disqualified from listening to or liking music. I feel like they carry something that connects to the emotional part of our being and our making because, you know, like we are made with emotions and feelings, right? Because that's how we're made. I think Taylor Swift is the perfect example. I'm a millennial, so I'm going to bring up Taylor Swift, right? Taylor Swift is a perfect example. She shares of her life through her songs and music, you know, if she breaks up with one person, I hear she's dating someone new right now. Right? So if she breaks up with one person and he hurt her, she would write a song. Songs have become the way Taylor Swift expresses her feelings of both joy and sorrow. The way she processes, the way she grieves, the way she releases anger. And then these songs would become hits because so many people are able to relate to her and through her songs. It's like she had taken the words right out of their mouths. Now, I think in the Bible, the Taylor Swift of the Bible is King David, right? King David is Taylor Swift, right? (laughs) So Taylor Swift must be King David. No, just just kidding. The Taylor Swift of the Bible is King David. Because as you see in the book of Psalms, um, King David wrote most of the Psalms. King We think. So, King David used the means of song to do what Taylor Swift does now. He expressed feelings of both joy and sorrow in the Psalms. He processed, he grieved, he released anger, etc. And in the Psalms, there's so much emotion, there's so much going on. And I feel like the Psalms are literally the most relatable part of the Bible. The Psalms are literally the songs of our lives. And two things King David does in the Psalms is one, he praises God, and two, he pursues God. Respectively, we sing songs on Sunday before the sermon to praise God and to pursue God. Now, I want to tell you a little bit about the Psalms. I know it's Memorial Day weekend. Uh, but stick with me. I know y'all want to barbecue, but I paid to learn this stuff so y'all can learn for free. Um, just kidding. That was mean. But, yeah, take notes if you want. The Psalms provide the musical element in the Bible. They were written to be prayers in the temple. And they were prayers that were not to be read, but they were to be performed. Right? A little fun fact. If you are, were able to play music back then, uh, you were actually at the top. So uh, Josh, Pastor Josh, uh, Tim, Tongen, y'all are at the top, okay? Um, they, so that's why you see King David, a king, using the means of music right, to praise God. Um, the Psalms are written for corporate settings. You know, America is a very individualistic country. But in ancient Israel, and Israel still now, it's a desert community. So they need other people to be able to survive. It's not the survival of the fittest. It's they have to be together to survive. So they're very big on corporate things. So the Psalms were written for corporate settings. They were meant to be sung corporately. And the Psalms are not designed to teach us something, not about literal truth but about emotional truth. All right. Now there are three types of psalms. If you want if we can go to the first diagram. Uh, is it up? Okay. The first diagram. There are three types of psalms. Okay. And I'm gonna talk about the location psalm, and it's uh, you can see up there. The location psalm, the dislocation psalm and the new location psalms. And these, uh, the three categories define where you are and what season you're in in your life. Okay? And in the location psalms, things are going well. Right? You're doing all right, and you know you're going to be all right. You know, you have a stable job. Your coffee meets bagels, working out, and you're hitting each other up constantly, and you DTR, right? And and she says yes. Yeah? Yeah? She says yes? (laughs) (laughs) She or he says yes. Um, Or you just got engaged, partied up to all the engaged couples. Or you just got married. Yay! Shout out to all the recently married. Y'all cut for life. (laughs) In these times, your life seems settled. And you're like, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. All right? If you could guess this psalm, I'll give you a high five. Right, psalm 121, so high five to me. So Psalm 121 is a location psalm. In these times, it's easy to praise God. Well, sometimes, because in times like these, you also forget to praise God. But I won't come for you today. Then we have the dislocation psalms. Right, where things are not going as planned. Now, I don't want to bring up touchy subjects, but the dislocation Psalms depict seasons where you are going through tough times. You feel hurt. You feel anger, shame, confusion, anxiety, guilt, loneliness. You are waiting and waiting on the Lord to do something for you. You are waiting and waiting. You're becoming impatient, but nothing is going on. Right? In, this, in the dislocation times, it kind of uses language that are embarrassing because it just shows too much of our disorientation. Right? Emotionally, mentally, physically. In times like these, it's really hard to praise God or you can easily feel like God is not there. And you can easily question, you know, if there was a God, this would not have happened to me. And then lastly, we have the new location psalm. New location psalm is where there's a new experience of the presence of God. There are new gifts of God when joy breaks through. Joy breaks through because you moved on from dislocation to new location. And these psalms affirm God. They exalt God. These are songs of thanksgiving. They have celebratory language over the new season. Psalms 105 says, give praise to the Lord. Proclaim his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him. Sing praise to him. Tell him of all his wonderful acts. We move on with new understanding, new expectations, and the new sense of how God works. And then the new location becomes regular location, and then you go through a cycle over and over again. Because that's life. For today's passage, I picked a dislocation psalm because I felt like God wanted to speak to the brokenhearted today, and he wanted to speak into the silent sufferers, the one who are are afraid to be broken in the outside but are broken in the inside, and he just wants to say that it's okay to be broken. And I feel like the dislocation psalms, they're so real to me. And it digs into the emotions. Because we're made to be emotional beings. And I feel like the church, not just New Mercy, but the church in general with the capital C, has slowly come to forget this side. Maybe because it's too raw. Maybe because it's too emotional. In our churches, in our lives, there's a lack of theology of complaint. But it is actually these psalms that help you be real. God God doesn't need us to flatter him. He doesn't need us to always say, oh, you're good. He already knows. These psalms help you complain fruitfully. Now, I am going to show you the, the structure of the dislocation psalm. If we could put up the next slide. Is it a Yeah, okay. uh, The structure of a dislocation psalm is this: first, there's protest to God. Why, God? Why are you doing this to me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's precision, precision, telling God why you feel that way. There's uh, provision, telling God what He has done for you in the past, and then there's petition, telling God what you want from Him, and then lastly, praise, telling God what he means to you in this structure we see praise breaking out in the end in fact 53 out of the 54 dislocation psalms in the bible they end with doxology they end with praise to god and we need to follow this structure to have praise break out in the complaints and the hurt we need to have protest we need to have precision we need to have provision we need to have petition for it to break out to praise. Dislocation Psalms look forward, but it starts from a place of honesty. It's okay to protest. It's okay to to complain. Honesty points you to God, right? And honesty brings you to a posture to praise. It can be you saying, God, honestly, I don't know how or I don't want to sing to you right now, but I will pursue your presence in my life. I will praise you even if it's hard to believe it." When you do that and you start praising and you start singing, there's an increase of faith. There's an increase of desire to be restored. There's an increase of desire to be healed when we sing to our God of how good he is. And then there's encounter. Because suddenly God becomes so real in the season that you're in. The encounter of the living God that takes us to a new location emotionally and spiritually. It's an encounter that fills you up with love from the compassion of the Father. Because the Father is compassionate, amen? An encounter that spells out victory. But there is only encounter depending on how honest you are. You know, my favorite professor, the one who influenced me the most in my seminary career said, said this. If we go to the next slide. He said, um, the quality of every relationship is directly proportional to the level of honesty. By my favorite professor. I'm going to say it again. The quality of every relationship is directly proportional to the level of honesty. I think Psalm 22 is really one of the best examples where you see this raw honesty. There's so much suffering there, but throughout the psalm, from the complaints, from the lament, uh, you see a posture change, right? Where from the suffering, praises arise in the end. The latter half of the psalm, there is just praises, right? And you proclaim that God is good. Now, I'm a big... um, Old Testament junkie, right? I love the Old Testament. So let me challenge you for a little bit. In Jewish tradition, uh, people did not cite Bible passages by book, chapter, and verse, right? They didn't say Psalm 23, verse uh, 6. They didn't say that. What they would do is they would actually memorize the whole Bible. Should we make that a church challenge to memorize the whole Bible? I'm just kidding. But they memorized the whole, the whole Torah, the whole Hebrew Bible, And they would use catchphrases to cite verses and chapters, right? So instead of saying, today we would say, oh, Psalm 23, 5 says this. But to these people, they would say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. And they would know right away that it's Psalm 23. That's the whole chapter of Psalm 23. So if we look at Jesus, who is actually a Jewish man, In the New Testament, he's always quoting the Psalms. And you don't really see it because he doesn't say, hey, Psalm 91 says this. No, he just uses catchphrases. It's all over the New Testament. It's one of his favorite books to quote. And that makes you think about Psalm 22 again. When Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me on the cross? Tradition says that, Jesus says that, because God turned his back on him, because he carried all the sin in the world, right? But to me, like, the thought that God would turn his back on Jesus, like, I really question that. When I look at my loving father and our loving father and when I look at my own life and your lives and when I look at just the Bible in general and the nature of God, the character of God, I know God as the one who never lets go no matter how broken I am. I know God as the one who never lets go of you no matter how broken you are. I see God as the one who pursues me even when I'm not pursuing him. I see God as the one who pursues you even when you're not pursuing him. Theologically, the fact that God turned his back on Jesus, it doesn't line up. So what Jesus says on the cross when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's actually a catchphrase for Psalm 22. He's saying, Father, this hurts and I feel abandoned and everyone is against me. But you, God, I know you are on my side. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I know you will never leave my side. Even when it hurts, I'll praise you. Because you are good. And I don't know if I'm reading into it, but I think when the veil was torn, I think it was the father mourning his son's death. Like when the Israelites will tear their clothes in grief and in mourning because he's a compassionate father. He knows your pain and he knows your hurt. What I love about the whole moment on the cross is that in his experience, Jesus didn't ask for more strength. He didn't ask for more courage. He didn't ask, God, help me get off this cross. All he asked for was God and more of God. And this is what we are to do. We are to imitate Jesus, not just in his acts, but in the way he sought the Father. The way he praised his Father, even in the hurt, even in the seasons of discomfort, even in the seasons of the unknown. Now, when I think about our title of the series, Restoration of Worship, I had to think, like, what does that even mean? What does it look like? How do we get there? After praying about it, sitting on it, and thinking about it, I realized restoration of corporate worship happens when a group of honest people come together to one, praise God, and two, to pursue God. And Sunday worship is beautiful because he's already here. When two or three are gathered, he's already here. And he's waiting to encounter you with his love, with his compassion. Sunday praise, singing to him, is that practical way. It's the practical way to tell God that we want him, that we want more of him. And we want to praise him and that we want to pursue him. The songs we sing are the songs of prayer. They pray for us. Right? The songs we sing today says things for you that we don't know how to say. And there is restoration through song. And God wants to restore today. So why don't we take some time to pray? Let's take some time to just Respond in prayer and in song. Because when we do this together, God is at the other end saying, I want to encounter you. So at this time, bring all of you. No more hiding. Let's start by being honest with where we're at. And let's start by being honest with God. And you know what? You don't even have to be in a bad season right now either. Right now, if it's a place where you just want to praise God for who He is in your life and you've just forgotten to do it, do it right now. If it's a place where you want to bring yourself to a posture to receive more because He wants to encounter you, come on, let's do it together. Can everyone just stand? Let's stand. As a visible posture to say, God, I want more. And as as I was praying for this Sunday, I felt like God say, just give them space. Just give them space for me to come and be honest with me. I'm not here to turn my back on you. I'm not here to shun you. I'm not here to reject you. I'm here because I want to meet you and I've been waiting for you to come. If you're in a place of dislocation right now, he's saying, I feel for you. I am a compassionate father. And I want you to bring to new locations that is surprising, fresh and new. He wants to encounter us today. So let your songs be your praise. Let your songs be your pursuit. So let's sing and make it your prayer. Make it your prayer. Let's respond to our one and only true God.